Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to being here. Uh, last year when I came, I flew in and flew out at Carol Ann State at home. So the best part of me being here, this is my wife, Carol Ann, soon to be 63 years. Our, my wife is seated right over here, hun wave, and uh, glad she's here. And, uh, and I got a text from your pastor this morning. And uh, he, he said, we're in Crete today. And uh, said uh, he'd be praying for us, and I know he is. He's been a dear friend for many years, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to, to be back. Now, our text this morning, and you can turn there, but uh, get it and then look back this way, because I want to give you a little context, is Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, that may not mean much to you, but it is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, which is where that group is today. They're reviewing the missionary journeys of, of Apostle Paul, mostly in Turkey and Greece. And uh, so that we're going to look at the beginning of that. Now, the, in the 15th chapter of Acts, you have the Jerusalem Council. Bear in mind that the early church, the first church was largely Jewish. And, uh, but gradually, that was never God's intent that it be just a Jewish church. And so, as Gentiles began to be saved, uh, the question was, well, what do they have to do to be saved? Because the, the, some of the Jewish converts thought they had to do some Jewish things to be saved. And so, they had the, Jew, they had the Jerusalem conference. Apostle James was the one who presided over it. And the purpose of it was to decide what Gentiles had to do to be saved. And obviously, they decided they're saved like everybody else by, by grace through faith. And uh, so, we, uh, we had that settled. And so, you come to the end, toward the end of the 15th chapter of Acts, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul turned to Barnabas, who was his uh, partner on that first missionary journey, and said, I think we ought to go back and visit the churches where we went on our last trip. And Barnabas said, hey, that's a great idea. He said, by the way, I want to take John Mark with us. Well, John Mark had gone on the first trip, but if you remember, he got cold feet somewhere along the line, came back home, and Apostle Paul, yeah, he did not, want, did not want to have John Mark along. So, Barnabas uh, took John Mark, and they went on a missionary journey, I guess, uh, they went somewhere. We don't know biblically where they went. Historically, we know they did share the gospel. And Paul took Silas. And so they were going to do a little bit different. On the first missionary journey, they were in Antioch of uh, Syria. And they came down to the sea and caught a boat and went over to Cyprus. And then went up to Pamphylia and went up to uh, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Derby, Lystra, and then just circled back and came home, and only they didn't go back to, to Cyprus. It was a shorter trip. And so this trip, they were going to leave from Antioch of Syria and go to Paul's hometown. That was in Tarshish. So they left Antioch of Syria, went up to Tarshish, and then they came to Lystra and Derby and Iconium and Antioch of Pisidia. Now, at that point, the Apostle Paul had a plan. 
His plan was to take a left in Antioch of Pisidia, which is west, and go all the way over to the sea and then come up the coast and evangelize, preach the gospel on the western part of the Roman province of Asia. Now, by the way, just in case you ever wondered what, where the term Asia Minor originated, it was not seen historically until the 4th century, about 400 A.D. It was used to designate the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. So that is kind of interesting that all the three missionary journeys of Paul are now included in an area that we know historically as Asia Minor. And so they were getting ready to go, and uh, they, the plan was a good plan. God had given them the Great Commission. They were to preach the gospel. Paul was hot-hearted, ready to go. He had plans to go up there and, and revisit some of the churches that they had visited the first time and then go and evangelize Western Asia. Now, that's where we get our text. So we start with verse uh, 6 of this, verse, of this chapter 16 of Acts chapter 16, verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. We'll come back to that in a moment. When they came to Mysia, which they went north out of Antioch of Pisidia, a long way, remember they're not on a Greyhound bus, they went a long way up to Mysia, which was right on the edge of Bithynia. They tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Wow. Passing by Mysia... They went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Dr. Luke then says, after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And that phrase, preach the gospel, is, just, is the Greek word euangelion, which just means to evangelize them. God had called us to go and evangelize the people there in Macedonia. Now, when we come to this passage, there are four things I want you to see. And uh, let me get my eyes on the clock here. Okay, it's 10 o'clock. Trust me, we'll be through by 1030, okay? Uh, well, maybe 1035. But anyway, we'll be close. So the, uh, the four things here I want you, first of all, as we read this passage, we are confronted with a mystery. I know you weren't paying attention. I don't mean that critically. I just read this passage and didn't pay attention myself for years. But I want to know, verse 6, the Holy Spirit forbade them to preach in Asia. Verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus forbade them to preach in Bithynia. Verse 10, after the vision, they concluded God had called us to evangelize them. The mystery is this. It is the mystery of the Godhead. It is the mystery of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons in Scripture. They are three distinct personalities. They have in some degree differing roles, but they're not three gods. They're not three gods. They're one God. Three, yet they're one. Now, that's a mystery. We cannot explain that. There's no way for us to understand it because 
uh, we're not capable of understanding. Let me tell you why. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses uh, 8 and 9, God said, my ways and my thoughts are not yours. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts and my ways than yours. How, how much higher they are. Now, that begs a question that we just ought to answer. How high are the heavens? Well, truth is, we don't know, do we? But I, I can give you a little illustration. In August and September of 1977, we launched from uh, two space satellites, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Voyager 1 was headed toward Jupiter, and Voyager uh, 2 was headed toward Neptune. Now, typical of the government, we launched Voyager 2 first. <laughs> Only the government would do that. And Voyager 1 was, was lost about three weeks later. Now, Voyager 1 is traveling uh, toward its destination at 38,000 miles per hour. 38,000 per hour. Now, to get a perspective, it's 25,000 miles around the Earth. And they're traveling 38,000 miles an hour. So they would travel around the Earth in less than an hour. Uh, that, that, that's the speed. Now, Voyager 2 was on a different, or, different target, different path, and they, uh, uh, they were only traveling 34,000 miles an hour. Now, a, according to NASA, as of today, Voyager 1 is 14.5 billion miles away from Earth. Voyager 2, a little slower, is only 11.8 billion miles from the Earth. Now, that, wasn't that easy for me to say? I mean, hey, th that's so easy. Y you know what? Our national debt's $22 trillion. You see, it just rolls right off. You have any idea how much a billion is? Let me give you several illustrations. There have just in the last 20 years been one billion minutes since Jesus was born. Just in the last 20 years. Oh, let me put it another way. If you went into business on the day Jesus was born with a capital investment of $1 billion and you lost $1,000 a day every day you were in business, as of right now, you'd still have 800 years to go before you'd be bankrupt. Now, that's just $1 billion. I, I can't wrap my mind, mind around that. But we know those spaceships are over one soon to be 15 billion miles out there. Now, I, I use that to say, when God says, my ways are higher than your ways, it's like saying it's further out there at Jupiter than it is here uh, to Dallas. <laughs> well, of course it is. I mean, it's, a, it, it's an obvious truth. Uh, God's ways are beyond our ways. So when we can't understand something, that tells us nothing about God. Just tells us something about ourselves. We're not saved by understanding. We're saved by faith, right? You can't really explain logically how the death of a man 2,000 years ago can have any impact on you today. But it did and does. That's God's ways. We don't understand a lot. We are saved by faith. And so here is this mystery the mystery of the Godhead. Now, this is important. If you, if you can get in your, in, in your head that the Godhead is three persons but one God, what the Holy Spirit does, God does because God is the Holy Spirit. What Jesus does, God does because 
Jesus is God. What God does, Jesus and the Holy Spirit do, because all three of them are God. Now, this will help you. It will help you with some theological questions and practical questions. For instance, there are some people who try to, seem to try to tell us that the Holy Spirit has things God doesn't have. And so we have to get saved, and then sometime we have to have a, another experience with the Holy Spirit because he's got something God didn't give us. Not true. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, we clearly receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved. Ephesians tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And uh, if the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, God comes and dwells in us. If Jesus saves us and we pray to Jesus and talk to Jesus, God's in us. This is a mystery that we cannot fathom. But it's important for us to realize that while it is beyond our reason, that does not mean it's in conflict with reason. God understands it. And so we accept it as what God has said. Now, th this is an amazing thing. This, the reason this is hard, we can hardly imagine three people agreeing on anything. <laughs> Always heard if you had three people presidents, you had at least four, three Baptist presidents, you had at least four, four ideas. You know, I mean, we, we, unity is something we just can't imagine. But the unity of the Trinity is incomprehensible. It is incredible because it's impossible for them to disagree. There never is a debate within the Trinity. Each one is God, not three separate gods, one God. It is a mystery, but, it, but here's the mystery. What one does, they all do. What one chooses, they all choose. What one says, they all say. If we could get this, it would help us understand that we have within us a Godhead of deity. We have within us the Holy Spirit who is God. And, uh, we, uh, uh, and the Bible never really explains this. It just assumes it. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, Paul says we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 3, 19, we need to be filled with the fullness of God. And in Ephesians 3, 17, Christ dwells in you. Which is it? Yes, all of them. All of them. The Bible just tells us uh, and, and casually mentions these things to us. Some have said, well, the Father devises, the Son accomplishes, and the Holy Spirit imparts. That's one way to help us understand it. But all three are God. They're all to be equally honored, equally adored, equally worshiped. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, they all live in our hearts when we're saved. Isn't that, doesn't that simplify things as you think about all the complications that, that we sometimes wonder about in our faith? We, we have one God who is clearly three distinct personalities, yet they're united in such a way they never be separated. Incredible unity. So that's the mystery that this confronts us with at the very beginning. Then we have a paradox that confuses us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them. Lo, I'll be with you always. Remember that? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Verse 4 of Acts 1, now bear in mind, 
The disciples had seen Jesus Christ brutalized, crucified, dead, buried. And then he came back to life. He walked among them for 40 days. Don't you know they were excited to tell somebody? I mean, they would want to run through the streets and say, hey, you jaybirds, he's alive. You thought you killed him. It didn't work. He's, he's alive. But in verse 4 of Acts 1, Jesus said, don't leave till the Holy Spirit comes. Only after the Holy Spirit comes did he say in verse 8, now you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. You see, here's my premise today that I want you to follow me. God did not give us the Great Commission and then leave it to us to figure out how to do it. God gave us the Great Commission and then planted himself in us. And our task as believers is not to do certain things, but to build a relationship and have a living relationship with God himself. What an amazing thing that is. We get so confused sometimes about uh, all the things we're supposed to be doing and the commandments we have. What God wants from us is to have relationship with us. That's why he planted himself in our hearts when we got saved. Now, having said all that, why did God say you can't preach in Asia? Holy Spirit, verse 6, forbid them to preach in Asia. Now, that's not a small thing. Uh, I don't know how far across Asia is, but it's a long way. I mean, it's hundreds of miles. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, that uh, entourage that was with him, traveling and, and being forbidden to preach? And then they came to Mysia. Now, you have to, you have to see Mysia uh, kind of like uh, the county right next to New Mexico. It, the border of Mysia touched the border of Bithynia just cross street. They get there and Paul says, we ought to go preach in Bithynia. Spirit of Jesus says, no. Now, why in the world did God tell them they couldn't preach after he'd already told them he wanted them to? The reason, and we all need to grab this because it's true in our lives, is God had a better plan. Now, listen, God always has a better plan than your plans. And, and he gives us the scripture to guide us in making decisions. He implants himself within us to help us make wise choices, wise decisions. He does all of this for us so that we'll not be making foolish mistakes. That's what he does for us. But his plan for us is better than any plan we could devise. Now, let me show you. When they got to miss him, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus told him, you can't preach in Bithynia, they went to Troas. Now, Troas was a seaport. And, uh, and, and the, 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 the setting there is the Apostle Paul was down by the docks, down by the sea. What was he doing there in the middle of the night? My imagination, it's just my imagination, it's not Scripture. I think he's having a debate with God. I think he's saying, what's going on? How come you won't let us preach? You told us to be your witnesses and, uh, you know, and to preach the gospel. And you, uh, why won't you let us preach? I think he was having that kind of a debate. It was in that context where at least Paul was wrestling with God because God had forbidden to let him do what he'd planned to do. That's when the vision came. And the man in Macedonia said, come and help us. 
didn't know what they needed. Just come and help us. And Dr. Luke, in recording this, says, immediately we set sail for Macedonia, believing that God had called us to evangelize them. Well, they went to Neapolis, got off the ship, went from Troas to Neapolis by boat, went up to Philippi. At Philippi, on the Sabbath, they uh, decided to go down by the river, and there they found a group of ladies, traveling sales party, who were God-fearers, didn't know the gospel, didn't know about Christ. They were down by the river, and uh, they shared the gospel with them, and they all got saved. Now, do you remember who that lady was? Lydia. Did you know where she's from? Thyatira. Did you know where Thyatira was? Asia. Did you know what was important about Thyatira? It was not any great significance except that it was the headquarters of trade guilds. We'd call them unions today. They had trade guilds. Only back then, all the trade guilds were associated with pagan worship. So to be a part of the trade guilds, you had to participate in pagan worship. That'd be a little problem with Christians, wouldn't it? And so those trade guilds sent out salespeople all over Asia and Bithynia. Oh, they had bronze smiths and leather goods and linen workers and, and uh, pottery and all kinds of things. And Lydia, I believe, there's no evidence, Paul never went to Thyatira, by the way, but Lydia did. I'm sure she was one of the founding members of the church at Thyatira. And with her sales team, by 112 A.D., Pliny the elder, who was the governor of Bithynia, sent a letter to Trajan the emperor and said, there is not a city, village, or rural area where Christians have not been found in all of Bithynia. Bithynia heard the gospel. 19th chapter, God lets Paul get in on the tail end of it. In verse 10 of the 19th chapter, he is one of the most amazing verses. Every soul in Asia heard the gospel within two years. How did Asia and Bithynia get reached with the gospel? Not with Paul, but with Lydia and traveling sales ladies and gentlemen in Bithynia and Asia. You see, God had a plan for Paul he didn't know about. When he landed in Macedonia, he was in Europe. And because he went to Europe, the gospel eventually spread to the United States. And we're here this morning because Paul followed God's plan and not his plan. It's a paradox when you look at it. But it's only when you understand that God was not saying, I don't want you to preach. He just said, I'll tell you when and where. You see, our problem is we, you know, we're, we're like privates that tell the general every morning, if you don't stop us, we're going to go preach. We're going to go fight. We're going to go serve. No, no, a private waits for the instructions. God doesn't want us just scurrying here, there, and everywhere doing whatever we think we can. He wants us to know him walk in relationship with him, live in the light of his presence, and he'll tell us what to do. So you see, it's not so much that God wants us to do something as he wants us to be something. He wants us to be in fellowship with him. Now, he didn't, he didn't need us. 
Now, some people say God created us so he'd have fellowship. That's not true. God didn't create us for anything. He didn't need us. He chose to create us, and he, and he chose to love us, and he chose to relate, relate himself to us. Jesus came before we ever asked him. He died on the cross before we even knew we were lost. God's plan was to include us in the gospel and then living within us, lead us to fulfill all of his commands and grow in our relationship with him. Well, it's a paradox, but the amazing thing is that Paul was obedient even though God said no. You see, obedience is the key to getting a fresh vision. Uh, obedience is, is preparation for us in our relationship with God. Paul uh, Francis Chan said, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We're not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. Yeah, I used, to, I used to pray every Sunday morning. I don't know if your pastor does this or not. I say, Lord, please do something we hadn't planned. You know, I can tell you what time this is, 10, 19. I can tell you just about whatever Southern Baptist Church is doing right now. We are so predictable. And we preachers are so predictable. I live for Sundays. Hey, I know how to do Sundays. It's Monday through Saturday that gets to me sometimes. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, God wants us to be in a relationship with him so that what we do is not what we're doing for him, it's what he's doing through us. The Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, God himself living within us, we can walk in his presence, we can love and adore him and praise him, and prayer becomes just as natural as breathing. I'll never forget a couple times when that very thought caused the hair to stand up. I was flying in a small plane with a, with a pilot and, and uh, uh, in a little Cessna, and he, uh, we got to the end of the runway, and he's going down the runway, and he starts praying. Lord, you know we're about to take off. Of course, God knows that. You know, but he, just ask God to bless the flight. And I tell you, the one that really got me is one of my, a man wanting me to, I consider coming up to Kansas City when we were in San Antonio, called to talk to me about it. And then he said, well, let's just pray. And he started praying. I never had prayed over the telephone. It almost scared me to death. I mean, hair just it was stood up on the back of my neck. I found out, by the way, that's a great thing to do. You know, you can, you can encourage each other over the telephone. Just pray. And, and, and anyway, you know, that, that's, God wants us to have that kind of relationship with where it's just so natural. Lord, we're about to do this. Thank you for helping us. Uh, you know, we're about to drive to Lubbock, give us safety. And, you know, we can just talk to God. We live in a conscious sense of his presence. That's what God wants from you. Not for you to do a lot of things. He wants to be a relationship with you. And if you do, you're going to be doing a lot of things, but it'll be God doing it through you. So that's a paradox. When he forbid them, he did it because he had a better plan. And so God always has a better plan. There's a third thing very quickly, and that is that we're challenged by Paul's obedience. God kept refusing to let him do anything, and he kept obeying. That's kind of tough, isn't it? When we, we're doing our best, and we're, we're praying to God, and we think we're obeying him, and God seems to block in the way, and, and, and it's hard for us to get past that. Well, to Paul's credit, he obeyed 
God each step of the way. We are challenged by his obedience. He kept on believing. He kept on obeying. Uh, Paul took every step in obedience to God, and that, that allows us to be led by God. I'll pause just long enough to say, uh, God, God wants to lead you every step. And don't think that you have to do something to please God. What pleases God is when you spend time with him. When you, what pleases God is when you acknowledge his presence, when he's just as natural as the breath that you take. That's the relationship that God wants to have with us. And obedience is the key. Our problem is not with verses we don't understand. You can always find some verse you don't understand. Our problem is with verses we do understand and not willing to do, not willing to abide by. That relationship, Paul was obedient. Last thing, we, need to be, we, we, we ought to be compelled by the call that is given to us. Can you imagine the urgency? They traveled all the th way through Asia to, to uh, Mysia. And then Mysia is like a long, skinny stretch of land. They traveled all the way down Mysia till it came to Troas. God just never uh, released them to preach. And uh, obedient as they went, they came to Troas. And there was the message, come over and help us. That was the cry of the man in Macedonia. And that's the cry of the world for us today. There are 243 million cities, uh, 243 cities in the world of over 1 million people. Every one of those cities is crying to us, come help us. They don't know what they need, crying for help. Our own land is rift with, with uh, chaos and disruptions. Uh, the, the major illness cause in America is emotional dysfunction. Uh, more than 50% of Americans are on tranquilizers every day. We're in a land that is searching, grabbing for something, anything, and the answer doesn't lie in the progressives or the Democrats or the Republicans. The, 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 mess, the answer lies in the message of Jesus Christ, who alone can give peace and come into uh, to the hearts and lives and change uh, the culture in which we live. We need to be compelled to hear the call that Christ, the call that, uh, that he gave to come and, and I will give you rest. All you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That, that is what Jesus' offer is, and that is a call that needs to come heavy on each of our hearts and each of our lives. Uh, it, it is a, a call that only we can answer because there is no answer apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to hear the call and we have to heed the call. It's not just enough to hear it. It's not just enough to know that people need us. Not just enough to know that the world's crying for help. We have to do something about it. And what we do is we proclaim the gospel Every time a disaster relief team goes from our churches, they're helping people with physical needs and they're preaching the gospel. Every time a woman comes into a crisis pregnancy center and chooses life over abortion, every time that happens, every time that happens, the gospel is being proclaimed. Even simple things like we, Carol Ann and I were to Cove several weeks ago doing a conference up there at the Billy Graham Conference Center, met the director of the Billy Graham Library told me something I had not heard. Since that library has been open in Charlotte, they end every tour with a seven-minute appeal by Billy Graham to be saved. 
They've had over 33,000 people saved in that library uh, just from coming to visit the library. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we do it not just to feed the hungry and not just to save the innocent and, and not just to, to uh, be, rebuild homes. and all. We do all of those things, but we do it so we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to hear the call and we have to heed the call. My favorite author... Uh, Christian author is Max Lucado. I hope you've gotten his books. Uh, if you haven't ever read Max Lucado, go, go online and get his first two books, uh, God Came Near, and no wonder they call him Savior. And those were written 30, 35 years ago. Probably his best books, but they're all great. But he told a story in a recent book, and I want to just, I want to read you this, this illustration that he gave. Jim O'Neill, 65-year-old pilot, was 40 minutes into a four-hour solo flight from Glasgow, Scotland to Colchester, England, when his vision failed. He initially thought he'd been blinded by the sun, but soon realized it was much worse. Suddenly, I couldn't see the dials in front of me. It was just a blur. I was helpless. He gave a new meaning to the phrase, flying blind. Turns out he'd suffered a stroke. O'Neill groped and found the radio of his Cessna and issued a Mayday alert. Paul Gerard, a Royal Air Force wing commander who had just completed a training sortie nearby, was contacted by air traffic controllers and took off at O'Neill's direction. He found the plane and began talking to the stricken pilot. The commander told O'Neill what to do. His instructions were reassuring and simple. A gentle right turn, please. Left a bit, right a bit. He hovered within 500 feet of O'Neill, shepherding him toward the nearest runway. Upon reaching it, the two began to descend. When asked if he could see the runway below, O'Neill apologized. No, sir, negative. O'Neill would have to land the plane by faith, not by sight. He hit the runway, but bounced up again. Same thing happened on the second attempt. But on the eighth try, the blinded pilot managed to make a near-perfect landing. Now, most of us can empathize with O'Neill. We've been struck, perhaps not with a stroke, but with life's demands. Not mid-air, but mid-career or mid-life or even in our golden years. We've lost sight of any safe landing strip and in desperation issued our share of Mayday prayers. We know the fear of flying blind. Unlike O'Neill, however, we hear more than one voice. Many voices besiege our cockpit. What if we follow the wrong choice? A wrong voice, what if we make the wrong choice? God has given us the incredible privilege of having himself within us. And, and we have to cultivate that relationship. If we do that, if we walk and live in a constant relationship with him, then he will guide us and give us wisdom in all of the choices and all of the, uh, all of the uh, decisions that we have to make but what if we don't live in that relationship with him? What if we can't hear his voice? That's the challenge that we have. I can't explain everything about God to you, but I can tell you that he loves you intensely and he wants to have a personal relationship with you every day of your life. Getting saved is not the end of the journey. God didn't save us so we'd go to heaven. If he saved us so we'd go to heaven, we'd go to heaven when we got saved. He left us here. He wanted us to have a relationship with him. 
and be an instrument of, that he could use to share the gospel around the world. And it's our relationship with him that's the most important. Now, some of you may be like me. You've gotten used to being saved. It happens to preachers, too. When I was at Dell City First Southern Baptist Church, that was the largest church in Oklahoma, and I was uh, 34 years old. And uh, I thought, man, that's really something. I, I was actually, I was kind of proud. And uh, I thought, my daddy, my daddy died when he was 52 years old, nearly 54 years ago. And uh, I thought, he, he, daddy would really be proud of me. But I made the mistake of taking a young deacon with me to an associational meeting down at First Baptist Church, Oklahoma City. And a good friend of mine was preaching, and boy, he got, got into my heart and under my skin in a, in a big way. And he preached, and then would you believe he gave an invitation at an associational meeting. And he called us to come and reestablish a relationship with God, confirm it, renew it, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I, I, knew God, I knew God was talking to me. I knew he was dealing, dealing with what arrogance and pride that I felt in being pastor in that big old church. And I guess my struggle wasn't quite as private as I thought because in a minute that young deacon put his arm around my shoulder. He said, come on, pastor, I'll go with you. And he led me to the altar for me to do business with God. Be forever grateful for a young deacon who did that for me. And I, I just wonder if maybe some of you are not at a place where it'd just be a good time, been a long time maybe, since you just nailed a stake in the ground and said, God, I belong to you. I want you to use me. Thank you for giving me life. Help me to get to know you better and just become better acquainted with the one who saved you. Maybe for some of you walking down, kneeling at this altar and praying, there'll be someone here, some of the staff will be here, you come and they'll pray with you. All right, right where you stand, there's nothing magical about walking an aisle. But what is important is that you find a way to nail down a stake and say, this is a decision I'm making today. I want to know him and the fullness of his life and his presence within me. I want to give my life to serving him. I want his Holy Spirit to guide me. Listen, us old folks, we've never been old before. It's a new journey. I, it's new for all of us. But listen, I, God never tended for us to grow older without some guidance. He wants to grow older in our, with us as we mature in our faith and as we come to the golden years. He wants to walk with us because that's his desire, to have a relationship that is lifelong. And every step we take in our journey, he'll take with us. So I'm asking this morning, would you... Be willing to just say, Lord, here's my stand. Maybe in coming forward, someone joined the church. What a great church. What a great fellowship. You're looking for a church home. You're not here by accident. This would be great. I tell you, Brother David would shout hallelujah if he found out you joined the church and he wasn't here. I mean, he'd be so thrilled for you to do that. But whatever decision God would have you to make, say yes to him today. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.